like a nightmare in my head. The song from last week will open this week. I'm Mr. Tax Christmas. I'm number one. I'm Mr. Fair Giver. I make the billionaires run. They call me Birdmiser. Whatever I touch turns billionaires into mush. <laughs> I'm too much. And you can listen to that number one hit on YouTube on last week's podcast, the full version. Uh, apparently, my brother played it in the bar. <laughs> after I released the episode and said that people got a kick out of it you know uh, hopefully you don't take yourself uh hopefully you don't take yourself too seriously it's just a little joke but i i understand in today's day and age uh you know politics you know oh you can't joke about that stuff because you know it's super duper serious and and absolutely has no room for for comedy or joking or anything because well, we're going to dive into a, a topic of, the, of that nature in a, in a minute. But guys, how you doing? It's Thursday, December 19th, 2019. I had a, I had a great outreach and response from you guys for last episode uh, with Bernie singing. Uh, he's, he's sung two Christmas classics now. Uh, in my mind, at least anyway. He sang um, a version of uh, It's a Difficult Responsibility from uh, Santa Claus is Coming to Town. Uh, he, he made his own twist, his own play, if you will, with uh, with uh, Burger Meister Meister Burger, making himself Bernie Miser Miser Burner. Uh, you know, it was very clever. Um, I applaud his efforts for that. We had a good out, good outreach, and good response to that song. However, people were upset that it was uh, completely a cappella and done on auto tune. <laughs> hey, I can't sing. I'm not gonna lie. I can stand behind a microphone and I can ramble and talk and give you my thoughts on things, uh, but I can't sing. Not gonna lie, that I, so I didn't do auto tune for. Uh, well, let me let me backtrack here. Bernie didn't do auto tune for the Burn Miser song. He just he just went au natural, and then apparently he made a an army of clones of myself to be his minions, which was very uh, disconcerting to me. Um, very weird that uh very weird that he did that i was very off put <laughs> by it and uh, but he uh, i'll give him credit he did use auto tune for them to sing so as to not embarrass myself which i am extremely thankful for because i cannot sing that's the long and the short of of what we're getting at with that <laughs> i can't sing so uh, I did mention this last week too. Uh, have you finished your Christmas shopping? This is not an ad. There's no advertisers or, or anything for me to say other than, as of right now, if you're listening today, it's Thursday, December nineteenth. Get your Christmas shopping done because you literally have what six days until Christmas. Not really even counting today if you don't go today, so really like five days. And you can't really count Christmas Day, so four days. Basically, that means get it done. You know, just get it done. I was at Best Buy uh, yesterday, and I finished up uh, I finished up uh, some last-minute, you know, pick-me-ups. I still actually technically uh, am not done, per se. <laughs> Got 
got like one or two more items I got to get, so I'm a little bit hypocritical in that department. But um, uh, needless to say, when I was at Best Buy, finishing up, uh, I caught myself uh, looking at podcasting equipment. You know, uh, like my microphone here, my blue microphone. I've had it since 2015. Uh, it's come a long way with me. It's not actually, it's not in bad shape at all. It's still running hard for uh, something that gets used at least once a week, if not. Uh, a little bit more. I was just looking at some of the other blue microphones that were there. They had like the Yeti set up, uh, some of the more higher end ones, and uh, you know, I just kind of stared at them. It was kind of like in a movie, you know, where you 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 get lost looking at something. You're like, you know, hmm. and I had a little debate in my head. I was like, you don't need that. Your your blue snowball microphone still works pretty damn good. Brian Nichols of the Brian Nichols Show even asked me what kind of equipment I use for my podcast, and I'm relatively sure he's a larger podcast than I am. And I'm like, whoa, whoa, what are you asking me what equipment I'm using? I should be asking you what equipment you're using. And, uh, yeah, that's the funny thing, too, for, for all that I podcast and, and for as long as we've been doing this program and all that. Uh, you know, my baseline, equi- I, I, have minimal, I have minimal equipment. <laughs> I do. It's minimal equipment here. I have... This blue snowball microphone, if you don't know anything about them. Um, I mean, it's a, obviously, you can hear it's a professional-grade microphone and all that, but it's literally like USB. One plug into my computer, open up GarageBand, record. That's what I do. It's not that difficult of a process. I don't have some magical soundboard that I'm playing with, you know. Uh, I don't have a dozen different computer programs or processing or anything like that, but as you can see, I'm, I'm kind of... Uh, I'm kind of just, uh, if it plugs in and works, that's awesome. You know, will, will I ever go more complicated than that? <laughs> I'm not going to make any promises on that front, but uh, I was caught looking at that new microphones. I was caught, I've been caught looking at new equipment and other things that I can integrate to make the podcast a little bit better. But on that note, um, in just a few short minutes here, you're going to see how this podcast just got fancier. I actually sat down with the other day, Tuesday night, I believe it was, uh, Todd Hagopian, the Libertarian-in-Chief. And uh, he is going to be the official first guest, besides Bernie Sanders, uh, of this podcast on this very episode. That's what you're going to hear in a few short minutes after I touch up on some notes about uh, catching us up of where we're at. And then I'll give you a little bio of Todd Hagopian, and we'll go into that interview. That's going to be the podcast today. It's going to be mostly be that interview, and it was very exciting for me to sit down. Um, we uh, we initiated a call on Skype, uh, talked a little bit before we started recording, and then dove into my first conducted interview. And if you've never conducted an interview before, uh, that can be kind of a daunting task, if you will. Um, I've been interviewed twice by two different podcasters. And, um, you know, both times I was a little nerve-wracked because I'm going into this thing. But at the same token, I'm going into this thing not as a professional. This is like It wasn't news programs or anything like that. So it's not about, you know, flashing, you know, extreme knowledge of, of subjects or anything like that. And I had a good time doing both of the interviews, being interviewed. Uh, you know, I guess the second go around, I was just kind of used to it. And I was like, all right, we can go with the flow here. 
conducting one completely different <laughs> because you get to sit down, you get to think of the questions, you get to guide the conversation, and that can be kind of daunting. It was a little daunting for me, but uh, I think you'll see from the interview, I think it uh, I think it went pretty well, and I think you'll enjoy the subjects that we talked about. I'll get into that in a minute, but uh, we have to catch up on the ongoings right now. Um, I've had some complaint. well, I've had some back and forth on Facebook and Twitter and all that. Uh, as of right now, yesterday night, which was Wednesday, Wednesday night, the House voted on the articles of impeachment, which were uh, abuse of power and obstruction of Congress. A lot of people get it wrong when they're talking about what exactly Trump is being impeached for. A lot of people think it was, um, you know, the phone call. Everybody brings up the phone call when talking about uh, this impeachment thing. And, and myself and Todd Hagopian, we talk in our interview, you're going to see my thoughts and his thoughts on the impeachment itself, the articles of impeachment, and whether or not Trump has done bad things. However, the House voted... It was brought before the House. Uh, last week's episode, I talked about the Judiciary Committee. Remember, the Judiciary Committee held out its own hearings. Uh, kind of, that was kind of like a pre-step to see if impeachment uh, should be brought before the House. Impeachment has been brought before the House. The House voted on it last night. Um, there was a, a, a total grandstanding of time all day yesterday leading up to this vote, which... I've argued with some people on Facebook about some people are you know this is the process why are you uh, hating on the process and all that I'm not necessarily hating on the process I understand the process takes time I understand that constituents or not constituents but representatives have the right to be heard on behalf of their constituents uh, because it's representative democracy and all that I get that I'm not necessarily slamming the fact that there's a process that has to be followed. I'm slamming the fact that our news media and our politicians use it as a game. Pretty much all of this grandstanding is like free fundraising or free free advertising almost, but but also fundraising opportunities and and soundbite gathering and all that all this jazz. It's it's a bunch of fluff. You can watch it if you want. That's perfectly fine. I'm not arguing against there being uh, public documentation of this stuff. Uh, I'm not suggesting that it not happen at all, uh, but I am criticizing everybody that's playing the game uh, because that's what it was. It was a game. We all knew that the House was going to vote to in to uh, put forward the articles of impeachment. We all knew the House was going to do that. We all knew it was going to be across partisan lines, meaning that the Democrats were all almost going to vote yes and that the Republicans were all almost going to vote no. In fact... I have the breakdown by Article 1 and Article 2. Okay, at the end of voting, Article 1 of the resolution was 227 yays from Democrats, just two nays, one present vote, which was Tulsi Gabbard, who went into an explanation of why she voted that way, and three not voting, Republicans, not a single yay, 185 nays, 12 not voting, an independent, one yay, that's Justin Amash, who the Democrats are pushing to be a, a potential impeachment manager in the Senate. 
So the total vote breakdown is 228 yays, 187 noes, one present, 15 not voting for Article 1. For Article 2, story remains kind of the same. 210 yays from Democrats, 3 nays, 1 present, Tulsi Gabbard, 19 not voting, Republican, no yays, 145 nays, 52 not voting, 1 independent yay, Justin Amash, for a total of 211 to 148. Uh, So they passed that, and then almost immediately, this is what I'm talking about with this grandstanding, drag-out, nonsensical aspect of this stuff, the sweeping... Yays in the House, sweeping yays, uh, moving forward to the Senate. First thing Nancy Pelosi does uh, in a press op is say that, or, or has come out as noncommittal on whether or not she'll deliver this to the Senate. She's going to deliver this to the Senate, period. There's no questioning about whether she'll go to the Senate or not, but it's the fact that it'll dangle it out there in front of the media so that they can drag on and make more money off of this thing. Uh, while we're waiting, because, uh, you know, the other thing is social media has shown that uh, a ton of people, even to this point, still don't understand the impeachment process. There was people celebrating yesterday evening as the impeachment vote came in uh, because for some odd reason they think that that meant that Donald Trump's A, done, B, can't run for 2020, and C, now Mike Pence is the president of the United States, which isn't how it works at all. In fact, the the Senate trial, which will be conducted by uh, Justice Kennedy, I believe it is, in the Senate, uh, will happen in January. And likely, I'm, I'm of the John Ziegler mindset, likely will not uh, last longer than January itself. It will probably be very swift in the Senate, and there will be no removal of Donald Trump, and people will be very upset and not understanding why, because they do not understand the processes of impeachment and how this works. Which, I mean, you know, might be somewhat understandable for my generation's age and younger, because when Clinton was going through impeachment, we were way too young to care about that. We were watching Rugrats and Doug and other thing, Rocco's Modern Life on TV. That's what we were doing. That's what we were doing while, you know, Clinton was getting blowjobs in the White House from an intern. We didn't care. We didn't care. We weren't old enough to care. Now, here's here here it is, the historical third time this has happened in a nation's history. We care now, but we don't but apparently we still don't know enough about the process to actually understand what's going on. Uh and you know that's 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 part of my criticism against what has been going on up till now is because there's been a lot of time and a lot of money uh, dumped into this uh, spectacle, this political theater, which some people will be quick to defend the political theater, which, you know, I'm, I'm not, again, I'm not suggesting that we don't have the processes. I'm not suggesting that, uh, that anything taking place is, is per se wrong, but I, I do expect more of our leaders out of it. Speaking of expecting more out of something, uh, my guest this week is Todd Hagopian. Originally, when me and Todd were talking uh, on Twitter, we uh, exchanged messages back and forth a little bit about having him as a guest on the show. He was originally running for the chairman of the Libertarian National Committee. But after a short time, he announced that he was stepping down from that race. We actually talk in depth about reasons why he stepped away from the race, 
who he likes in the race now, um, among other subjects, including this whole impeachment process, the Democratic candidates and where they stand, and the evolution of the Libertarian Party. If you don't know Todd Hagopian, he's the Libertarian-in-Chief on Twitter. He has over 30,000 followers, and that's on Twitter alone. He is the chair of the Tulsa region of the Oklahoma Libertarian Party. He's a successful businessman, and he's trying to help break down America's reliance on the broken two-party system. Guys, without further ado, very thankful to have this guest on, Todd Hagopian. My guest this week is uh, Todd Hagopian. Todd, welcome to the FritzCast. You are officially, besides Bernie Sanders, the first guest on FritzCast. <laughs> Thank you, sir. I appreciate it. How are you doing this evening? Very good. Thank you. How about yourself? Very good. Uh, can't complain, can't complain at all. So we're not going to do that. Um, before I dive into some of our show notes here, the first questions I got to ask you is, you celebrate Christmas at all? Yes, sir. Yeah, you got any, You got your Christmas shopping done? Oh, yeah. My wife does that um, pretty much Black Friday and all gets done that day. Uh, Black Friday. All right. Well, I'm still uh, I, I get most of my shopping done, but then I'm I'm one of those picky people that uh, I keep finding stuff. And so I keep buying stuff. <laughs> my wife keeps a keen eye out throughout the year for hot deals and then wraps up on Black Friday. So we're usually done for the last month of the year. That's something that I got to start doing, man. I'm, I'm really surprised. Uh, I just uh, me and my wife just had our first baby and she's uh, three months old. And somehow, somehow all the stuff is wrapped under the tree, which is like, that's never happened before we had a kid. And for some reason we have a kid and we're on top of it. I don't understand it. Congratulations. That's fantastic news. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. Appreciate it. All right. Uh, when we originally were talking uh, to do the interview, you were running for the uh, LNC chair. Yeah. Um, and that's that we were originally scheduling for that. However, some, uh, some, some change in plans happened there. You want to talk a little bit about that and uh, and what went on? Sure. Yeah. So, I mean, I originally started uh, running for the chair on a platform of professionalizing the party, building a national brand, um, and winning local elections. And that was going pretty well. It was, a, it was a fun campaign. I went for six or seven weeks. Uh, what I ran into was, you know, the, the way we nominate chairs is through the delegate process. A lot of the delegates really wanted to understand why I hadn't been involved on a local level, you know, over the past few years. Um, and there was some personal stuff there. Uh, I have a, a son with special needs, and I didn't want to drag him into it. I didn't want to talk about it. I didn't want him to be the reason. Um, and I didn't feel like that was fair to him. But I also didn't feel like it was fair to the delegates to continue to kind of stonewall and say there was a health issue in the family, you know what I mean, that I'm not going to talk about. Because uh, it, it sounded like I was just making stuff up, you know what I mean? So at that point in time, I just said, you know what, this isn't worth it to, to put my son in this position, to put the delegates in this position. It's just going to be a distraction. So I decided to take a look at my platform and say, hey, well, I'm telling people to run in local races. You know, I've got a school board race that I have been eyeing anyway. And I, um, on the day that it uh, became open, I filed for that school board. And then I announced that I was not going to run for the LNC anymore. All right. That sounds like a, it sounds like it's a very complicated process to try to, to run for something, even within the party for like libertarian chair almost. Uh, yeah. Yeah. You basically, um, you know, all the states nominate their delegates. All the delegates go to Austin and and then you have to convince the delegates to vote for you. 
in Austin. And it's a interesting process because the delegates don't even get chosen until after January 1st. So right now you're basically talking to people who want to be delegates and it's not incredibly hard to become a delegate. So most people who really want it, you know, can find a way to, to get there. Um, so, I mean, you kind of know who you're talking to, but until January 1st, you really don't. And then in order to meet those delegates that you haven't met, you really have to travel every single weekend from January to April as they do their um, national or their state conventions. Uh, yeah, that sounds like a short amount of time to uh, up to this point, at least anyway, it's almost like you're gambling on whether or not these people will become delegates. Exactly. Yeah. And that is basically, you know, four months of travel every weekend. I've got four kids and I work 60 hours a week. And, and it was just kind of one of those things where at the end of the day, it was going to be it wasn't going to be worth it to go in and, and go into a battle that I knew I was uh, going to be shorthanded in with the answers that I was given. So. That I can respect that, um, especially because uh, I was I was very excited for your campaign. I'm I'm sorry that it had to come to a close, uh, but as we say, stuff happens, yep. and family is more important than anything, honestly. Uh, so it, it's unfortunate that that had to happen. Um, I know you did a couple of podcasts where you uh, where you talked about uh, your race for LNC chair, and I know you did at least one debate. I don't know if there was more than the one debate, but. Um, with that being said, is there a candidate running right now that you have full confidence in, or are you kind of sitting back and seeing how it plays out? Yeah, I mean, I'm sitting back right now, but I, at the same time, you know, if Josh or um, Shipley were to win, you know, I like these guys a lot. I, I have confidence in them. I think that they would both be really good at the job for different reasons. Um, I still really believe that the LNC needs somebody with a business mindset. And I don't see that in the current candidates right now, uh, but that does not mean I wouldn't fully support one of those two to, to run. And I think that they, you know, Josh is a fantastic recruiter. Mike um, is is wonderful at growing his caucus. I think both of them would grow the membership. I just think we really need to um, instill some people in there that can that can balance the budget um, and drive, drive fundraising and, and really thin out the organization and then prepare it to grow. Um, so I just, that's my issue with it is I, I think we need some more business experience out there, but I, I like Josh a lot. I like, uh, Shipley a lot. I think both of those guys would do a fine job. If Nick ran again, you know, it'd be kind of business as usual, which wouldn't ruin the party. Um, right. And, and I think he might have the most business experience, but at the same time, he's kind of put us where we are right now. So, um, I don't know who I would support if those were the only three, but I have a feeling some more folks are going to jump in. So I'm kind of yep. hanging back right now. Yep, I can understand that. And then, but bottom line is, is that you believe that there needs to be some major changes within the party uh, as it stands, correct? Yeah, I mean, I, I think that we have to do things differently. I, I think you can't go from um, your best fundraising year ever, your best, you know, vote getting ever in 2016, and then almost be broke in 2018. I think that's poor planning. Um, that's basically the equivalent of somebody living paycheck to paycheck, right? So, um, when you when you get all that goodwill, when you get all those fundraising, you go up to twenty thousand, you know, dues paying members, and then drop back down to thirteen. You know, we clearly didn't capitalize on any of the twenty sixteen election. Uh, we're basically back worse than we were before. Um, so I mean, we need to make some changes, and and that really starts with, in my opinion, professionalizing the party and getting uh, getting our funding, our um, spending right, making sure that we're um, basically focusing on the things that are most impactful is what I was talking about a lot in the race. And 
It's all about figuring out where you're going to get 80% of your benefit. You know, where where are the next members? Where are the next dollars and fundraising coming from? And trying not to alienate those folks who who are your key fund uh, fund sources and and try not to alienate the people who are ex members. And I think that this party, unfortunately, spends a whole lot of time doing both. Yeah, yeah. There's, uh, I mean, there's that, I guess, that crux of libertarianism where we're all fighting because we're not libertarian enough. Uh, you know, there's that. There's, uh, there's fights between official LP members and people like, you know, me. I'm not an official LP member, but I've been teetering on that line for since 2012, probably. Um, but, and it's amazing that, that, this party with these candidates, these delegates and all that, uh, we're big on the federal government balancing a budget, but the party can't balance the budget, you know? I know. And I was, uh, I mean, most of my support was coming from kind of the little L community that, that hasn't been happy with how the party has been doing and is looking for changes and wants to have something that they can believe in and, and potentially get behind. Um, and I and I think that those are the easiest folks to go after as future members. They already agree with everything. They just don't know if they want to be a part of a political party or this political party. Um, and they're also folks who who give quite a bit of money when they when they see something that they like. I mean, the Mises Caucus is uh, one of the best fundraising organizations inside of the Libertarians, and they and they primarily pick off of you know little L Libertarian base. So I I just think it's silly for our big L guys to be going after the little L's like they do and just and starting all this infighting it it should be coming from the top that's for sure yeah absolutely I I agree with that I I think that's a a big problem within the party and and kind of the philosophy is just this who's libertarian enough who 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 meets the bar that we're we're setting and who's actually setting that bar anyway um but uh to double back you said you're running for school board um I believe part of the reason that you said you're doing that is because you believe local involvement and smaller scale is more important than, I guess, the approach that that a lot of people seem to have, especially people I talk with uh, in libertarian communities where they're so laser focused on the presidential race every year. And I'm always left asking, like, what what, do you guys expect that there's an an infinity gauntlet out there somewhere that the libertarian guy is going to get it? We're going to vote him in and he's just going to snap his fingers and away will go all bad aspects of the government. I think it's a little silly, especially because we're going for like the top seat in U.S. politics when there's so many different ways that we can go local level, building up uh, an establishment. It kind of goes to your message of professionalizing the party. Um is that is that part of what you believe uh, running for school board is? Yeah, it's a great question. I mean, my my thing is I hate it. I think it's ridiculous that we focus on the presidential party. We spend all of our time, effort, and money at least two out of every four years focusing on the presidential campaign. And the excuse people give is, well, if they get X percent of the vote, you know, we get ballot access in these 18 states. Well, here's the deal. We're never going to get a president before we get a House member. We're probably never going to get a president before we get 20 House members. We're never going to get a House member until we start winning local elections. Um, and, and so, frankly, if we were on 36 ballots or if we were on 50 ballots, uh, we're no closer to being president of the United States. What we have to do is win a thousand local races and then start winning House races. And what I was talking about as far as local state House, it is. We won about 32 percent of our races in 2019. Not many people know that. 
So 32% of the races that Libertarians ran in in 2019, we won. Now, what kind of races are in 2019? Not House, not very many state House or anything like that. It's mostly local nonpartisan races like mayors, school boards, commissioners. Um, some of them are partisan, but many of them are nonpartisan where you don't even have to run with an L next to your name. But here's the deal. That's not even the worst part. Running with an L next to your name is not a handicap. A handicap comes when you're running against a D and an R because then people have a built-in tendency to vote for the D and the R. Once it's no labels, then the libertarian um, ideas tend to win at the local level 32% of the time, even though we have a weak party right now. Um, and so my, my point was, is let's target a thousand races that are local, nonpartisan, and low barriers to entry, where it costs almost nothing to enter. Um, you don't have to go and get 10,000 signatures. We don't have to spend all of our time and effort just getting on the ballot. We can spend our time and effort trying to win an election that might only take 180 votes to win. Okay, there's an Oklahoma gubernatorial candidate who got a couple percent, you know, when he ran in Oklahoma. In 2019, he ran for local city council. He got 60% of the vote against two other people. So three total people ran, he got 60% of the vote. All that was different is he ran the exact same campaign he ran for governor. He just ran it at the local level in a nonpartisan race. Same person, completely different result. And so if we can put good, successful people running for these positions that they don't even have to quit their job to do with their part-time positions, we can start winning uh, across the country. And that's how you end up getting your house seat. And once you get that, then people will take the presidential candidate seriously, and it won't be hard to get three or four percent. Yeah, I think people just like, I guess they see that approach as dragging the feet or whatever. People want this instantaneous like satisfaction, right. but it, it, it scale it back. It really is like building blocks, stepping stones, and, and that's how you legitimize the movement. You don't legitimize it from the top down. You do bottom up. Right, and I can't imagine. I mean, I actually have run into people who are legitimately satisfied at how Bill Weld and Gary Johnson did. And I'm like, seriously, you can't. That's, uh, to, to me, I followed along uh, the 2015-16 election cycle so closely, and I was in the hype leading up to election day. Yeah. And then when election day happened, and, and that was the number, that was the final tally, I was severely underwhelmed. I was, I was the, like, we had the two worst candidates ever, ever. on the face of the planet. We still kind of have them going at it right now because right. Hillary Clinton won't go away. <laughs> and people still speculate she's going to jump in the race. I don't know why. But, yeah, you know, we had – it was like a – it was like the election was on a silver platter. And all you could really do is, is not even leave a ding in it, you know? Yeah. Yeah, so. and it's absolutely right. I mean, it, and people are act like, oh, we got three million votes. You know, this is the best election ever for us. And I – I equate it to this. It's like losing to the Patriots by 30 one week and then going up against, you know, the Washington Redskins and losing by 29 and being like, we improved. <laughs> you know? Yeah, yeah. It's like, but yeah. You had a completely different game. You were going to get 3 million votes. You and I could have ran on the ticket and gotten 3 million votes because 3 million people hated Hillary Clinton and Donald Trump. You know what I mean? That Our party got smaller after the election. You know, so, I mean, we, there, there was not a victory there, not to mention half of the ticket wasn't libertarian to begin with, uh, which is kind of important if you're going to put it out there and have them, you know, be the, the bearer of the party. So. 
Yeah, I know. I agree with that fully. And then it, the other, I guess, factor in the equation, and we've already talked about this, is that uh, the approach now, it's 2019 coming on 2020. Like, I feel like every time I watch, I'm glad that the debates have improved with the uh, Libertarian Party. Like, instead of watching some static Sony handicam footage of a presidential debate, I'm actually seeing like a good high quality production. But I'm still severely underwhelmed by the candidates that are there and the odds of them even getting what Johnson and Welp got this year. Yeah. No, and it's and it's true. That's the one thing that they did bring is they they brought enough um, past history that people wanted to follow them, and we're not we're not even getting the run up to you know the the primary, um, which is unfortunate. Now I think we probably have four good candidates who would do well in interviews. You know, the debates aren't really going to matter because we're not going to qualify for one that's rigged. Um, But we probably have three or four candidates that will do well in interviews if they were to get the nomination and be on TV. I still hope a couple more drop in, but but I've talked with a number of them. um, And there's some very smart folks that are running. I think won't won't embarrass us. They'll do well, Uh, but they definitely don't have the name recognition and they're not going to get. A lot of free media they're gonna have to work for it oh yeah that probably doubly more than johnson or weld ever had to worry about uh speaking of debates i don't know if you saw but uh did you see the democrats are like they're signing some kind of boycott of the next debate because cory booker isn't in and, and julian castro isn't in yeah so there were like two boycotts going on first they all boycotted because the union um was striking that's and, right the union strike yeah. they were going to be picketing or or whatever Apparently that one got resolved, so now they're back on. But they also signed this letter for Cory Booker. He was the driving force behind it, um, trying to get everyone to be allowed into the debates, basically an argument saying, you know, you've you've eliminated all of the minorities from the debate um, with your rules, so loosen your rules that I didn't qualify for. Um, And so he kind of hijacked it and forced everyone to sign this thing. And the funniest part about it is that was the headline. And then the very next headline that came out was five campaigns went to the DNC and basically, you know, behind the scenes said, don't change the rules. This is bullshit. You know what I mean? Like <laughs> that's a, that's like a, that's the ignored aspect that like a bunch of people aren't going to pick up on. They'll just pick up on the fact that, you know, hey, Cory Booker, Spartacus isn't in the debate and they're not letting him in the debate. Yeah, exactly. And now everybody, you know, Biden and Warren can be like, well, we fought for Corey, but we still had to go. Right. Not in it. And in reality, you know, those were more than likely two of the (laughs) two of the teams that went to the DNC and said, I could really use five extra minutes. Why do we keep putting 10 people on the stage? You know what I mean? Yeah. Well, this year, especially, they've had like trouble narrowing that pool down. It's gone from two nights of 20 candidates to. The next one was 12, and then they dropped to 10, but then they added two more. Like, and, and it's funny that now that little stunt happened about, oh, the rules are rigged. Because if we went to the presidential debate, you know, hey, you guys think the uh, Libertarian or the Green Party guy should be on there? Hell no. Forget uh, that. <laughs> That's the best part. I mean, every one of them signed this thing that said you should be able to meet the donor or the voter you know, part. They have to get like 2% in the in a number of polls i mean libertarians always poll at two percent but what is it it's like 15 percent for the yep. national debate i mean and it used to be lower they raised that number of years back i mean every time we get anywhere close they raise it and that's why i'm saying 
you know, until you get people used to voting libertarian at the local level, until people understand the libertarian ideas and start demanding that the libertarians on the stage, we're not going to get on the stage. Yeah. Uh, the only exception will be is if we get a, a real big name in there at some point in time who, who pulls hard, you know, and, and we get it. But but that's, you know, even everyone brings up, you know, the, the Ron Paul, he, he didn't even, he wasn't even the nominee when he was popular. When he was the nominee, he didn't get any, you know, attention. So, um, I mean, I think, yeah, I, we have to focus local because this is not the way that we're ever going to become become president. <laughs> I, I agree with you on that. Um, switching focus here, uh, there's some there's some icons I wanted to talk about, kind of that are always in the libertarian mix when we talk about them. Uh, we have Rand Paul as one who uh, seems to be all in the MAGA Trump camp now. Like, he'll do anything to save his own hide for this. And then we have the opposite. We have Justin Amash going independent, and now the Democrats even want him uh, to be, or they're pushing for him to be the impeachment manager for yeah. the uh, upcoming impeachment. So, what are your thoughts on both of those guys, kind of? Yeah, so I mean, Rand Paul, um, and I was a <clears throat> Republican in the run up to 2016. Uh, so, during the early part of 2016 is when I flipped over um, to this party. In 2015, I was a Republican and I did not support Rand Paul at the time, even though he was libertarian ish. Uh, and primarily, it's because I thought he was weak, and uh, and I think that's exactly what he's shown over the last three years. Is he he doesn't have the backbone to stand up to people. He while he does have flashes of brilliance, still, you know, on certain issues, he'll come out and come hard libertarian. He he defends Trump in times when I just can't understand it. So he is gone. I mean, I think I think when Trump's gone, we're going to see the old Rand come back. And that's going to be good for him. But Probably. That's and, and who knows, you know, what he's going to be like after eight years of Trump, theoretically. Uh, as far as Justin Amash, he was one of the re main reasons I, I moved Libertarian. Back in 2010, actually, I lived in Michigan um, and uh, in a neighboring district and got to uh, start watching him. And at the time, you know, he, he and Rand Paul were, were Republicans, so I thought, there, I didn't even know there was libertarian. I just knew there were libertarian Republicans. So that's kind of what I was for a period of five years there. Um, so I really like Amash. Uh, I thought his move to independent was uh, fantastic, first of all, that somebody that high profile would do it. Uh, so I think that's just good in general for all third parties. I think it was important that he moved to, liber or to independent instead of libertarian because of the reason he was moving, which was basically saying, I don't need a party. I'm going to vote my conscience. Um, I was, of course, disappointed because I would have rather seen him come libertarian. I think, I think a lot of people would have. Yeah. And I think eventually he'll get there. I think he'll be a part of this party. I think that it was just important for him to show that he wasn't switching parties. He was just saying, I'm not going to be aligned and, and you know, um, serving somebody. Kind of like, kind of like you saying, I'm done with this crap. Exactly. And I think that was important. And that's why. One of the reasons I don't think he'll end up running for us, you know, in 2016, or in, yeah, which a lot of people want him to do here in 2020. I just don't think he'll end up doing it, and that's why. Um, but as far as the Democrats wanting him to be the impeachment manager, I think that that's what they're angling for, in my opinion. What they're trying to do is get Justin Amash enough high profile, enough people knowing who he is, that he feels like he can run for president. 
and then he'll either run as an independent or a libertarian. And the Democrats know that he'll peel off kind of the never Trump Republicans or the Republicans who don't like Trump enough to vote for him. And so I, I honestly, I think I hate, I, I am not a fan of the Democrats, um, but I think that this is very smart politics if they are to go forward. Because I think what they're trying to do is lift his national profile, use him a little bit and put him in a position where he can run for president if he wants to, knowing that it could potentially hurt the other side worse than them. Um, and I'm, of course, not one of those guys who thinks that people own votes, you know. Um, but I mean, he, he could strip some legitimate Republican votes from Donald Trump. Uh, and I think that that's what they're going for here. That's a that's an angle that I honestly didn't even think of um, in the 3D, 4D, 5D, whatever dimension chess Trump's playing. Never, never occurred to me to stop and think, you know what, maybe the Democrats are doing that to try to screw over the, the orange man. Never, never crossed my mind. But I can't think of any other real good reason why they would just put in a bulldog. You know what I mean? Because, I mean, it's not like he's going to convince Republicans to vote with him just because he used to be one and then screwed over their party yeah you know? that's yeah i just don't know what else the benefit would be that that's a fair enough point they they vote for what impeachment tomorrow don't they wednesday yeah i think the house is on wednesday and then we'll see what happens with the senate so by the time i actually go to record the rest of the show well we'll know i'll be yeah. talking about it but uh other than that um you have any thoughts on the impeachment coming up? I mean, libertarians seem kind of split. Uh, there's this side that, for whatever reason, is cool with Trump and everything that he does. And then there's this segment of, uh, I guess, the more principled. Maybe I'm stepping on people's toes there. But the more principled people are like, nah, you know what? He's done some crappy things, and this this all fits. Yeah, and I think of the, of the strong libertarians, I know there's kind of two camps. There's one that says... Every president does something that they can be impeached for, and Trump hasn't been as bad as half of them, so he shouldn't be impeached. And then there's the other side that says, um, you know, the stuff he's done is ridiculous and he should be impeached. Um, and and then there's the MAGA people who don't think he should be impeached because he didn't do anything wrong. And I really don't understand that, to be honest. I uh, did a podcast the other day with um, Jen, the libertarian, on yep. impeachment, and we went deep into this. And, and there's just, there's no... In my eyes, there's no questioning what happened. He spent almost two years gathering data and trying to influence Ukraine to do an investigation on Biden. And it wasn't until all of a sudden he had $250 million to hold over their head that he went after it and, and used the leverage. Um, and, and then he was involved with all these different people going around Congress uh, in ways that you're not allowed to. The president's not allowed to just not pay out money that's been appropriated by Congress. That's illegal. The president cannot do quid for pro quo. That's illegal. The president can't, um, you know, uh, obstruct Congress in an impeachment uh, hearing. That's illegal. He's done, in my eyes, there were three articles they could have brought against him and possibly, probably bribery as well. Um, and so impoundment, bribery, and obstruction of Congress. Uh, and then I can't remember what I just said on the fourth, but I mean, basically, there in my eyes, there's no, there's no question. If you actually read past the headline, everyone thinks he's getting impeached for this phone call. The phone call had little to nothing to do with it. 
It was everything that happened for the two years before the phone call, everything that happened right after he got caught, you know, where all of a sudden the money was flowing. Yeah. Yeah. The <laughs> ambassador who was saying, I think this is quid pro quo. And another guy saying, stop texting about yep. this make a phone call then he made a phone call and then the money got released you know what i mean i mean it's there's it it just couldn't be clear i don't understand people who don't it it's okay i get it if you think he did bad things but he shouldn't be impeached but if you actually just don't think he did bad things i guess i i just don't see where you're coming from there's definitely uh, to me questionable character stuff like uh, leading up to the election even but everybody goes back to like the phone call and the money. Like the number one argument I hear is, well, Ukraine got the money. Right. And I'm like, (laughs) like, you don't like, it's not like if two dudes are robbing a bank, but they like suddenly stop and walk out and they're like, you know what? This was a bad idea. Like you're still going to get arrested because you held up the joint at gunpoint. And you know, just because you had a sudden attack of conscience doesn't mean that you didn't have ill intent at the time. And I, and I should I should point out something because I get hated on impeachment all the time every time I talk about impeachment. I think that Biden's kid did something wrong, and I think it should be investigated. Absolutely. I think – I think. <laughs> but it doesn't matter because yeah. he still broke the law. Yeah, exactly. Like in, in arguing it, people are so I, – I guess it just goes back to being divisive and being such uh, party-line players that – you know, it turns into this, well, whataboutism game. So people go to the, the Joe Biden, Hunter Biden thing. And I'm like, yeah, you know what? There's some shady stuff there that needs to be investigated. There's definitely some things that happened. But was Joe Biden the president of the United States? Did, did this stuff happen using political power, you know, in, in a position? Like, right. not so much. <laughs> like, they're kind of like apples and oranges. They're two different baskets that you're drawing from. Right. Yeah. And, and and if people actually do their research, what they find is the stuff that Burisma is getting investigated for happened prior to Biden getting on the board anyway. It's just yeah. a matter of, did Biden get on the board because of his dad? Well, yeah. You know what I mean? You don't get kicked out of the, out of the army for doing cocaine. And then two months later, get a lucrative board spot on a Ukrainian board. If your dad's not vice president, like that happened, right? Yeah. <laughs> but, but the point is, is all the stuff they're getting investigated for has to do with how that guy got rich enough to build the company, which was already built when Biden took over. So so he probably did bad things when he was the board member of a bad company. But the whole investigation that they're asking for doesn't even have anything to do with Biden, other than the fact that he worked for the company. It's just, it's kind of ridiculous. It's one of those things where, well, that guy did something wrong too. So let's just, um, you know, negating penalties. <laughs> right, right, exactly. <laughs> that's not how this works. You actually, if you commit a crime when you're the president, you get impeached. So that's how it works. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, so let's see. I said we were going to go about 30 minutes. We're at the 30-minute mark. Uh, is, is there any other thing that you would want to bring up, Todd? No, I think, I mean, I'm really looking forward to the next four months as chairs and presidential candidates get um, get nominated for this party. I think that we have a chance to do some good things at the local level. I really hope that people spend their time, effort, and money helping our party where it really matters. And I think where that matters is at the local level. And I, I just encourage people, especially in the off year, maybe in 2021, if you are a successful libertarian, 
well-spoken, knows the issues, look for a local candidate um, spot that you can run in, school board, uh, city council, something. Get your name out there and see how you do, because we won 32% of the races last year or this year. And I just think it's so important that that's how we're going to grow this party. So if I had one thing to tell people, that's what I'd be telling them right now. Awesome. Awesome. Uh, one final note, where can the people find you online? Uh, sure. So um, best place to find me is just Todd Hagopian on Twitter. So at Todd Hagopian, uh, Libertarian in Chief on Twitter. Uh, that's that's where you'll get the fastest responses from me. Okay, perfect, perfect. And then um, that'll do it. That'll do it for this one, Todd. Uh, just on a personal note, thank you for coming on the show. You're the first guest ever other than Bernie Sanders. Um, so that's it's should you need to wear that with a badge of pride and honor. I really appreciate the invite. And uh, hopefully, uh, sometime soon we can do this again. Yeah, let's do it. All right. And with that. That was my guest, Todd Hagopian. What did you guys think? Did you enjoy that? Did you like that? I hope you did, because I am plotting to do more interviews for episodes of FritzCast coming up. It's not going to be a weekly thing. Uh, it might not even be a bi-weekly thing at first. It might start off as like kind of like a once-a-month, hey, this is special. Let's bring somebody in. Let's talk. Let's chat. Let's uh, let's uh, you know discuss some topics of sorts. I thought that that was a great discussion about the evolutions that need to happen within the Libertarian Party that just don't seemingly happen right now. And uh, you know, Todd brought up many great points, including you Libertarians out there who are one hundred percent against the impeachment of Donald Trump. Uh, you know, I thought it was a a good conversation and a good aspect. So, guys, thanks for listening this week. If you enjoyed this episode, do me a favor. Share it. Share it to the world on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, whatever you whatever you uh whatever you kids are sharing things on nowadays right now. Uh share it with a friend. Uh if you really truly enjoyed it, whatever platform you're listening on, whether it's Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google, uh SoundCloud, whatever it is, just just leave a review. Just, you know, click the stars button. You know, it doesn't have, you know, I don't have to give me five stars if you don't think I was five star material. But if you if you liked it, you know, please leave a review. Uh, and if you're if you're wanting extracurricular, even leave a written review. Those, those carry those are worth their weight in gold around here. And uh, if you want to follow along with me, it's at FritzQS on Twitter, Facebook.com slash the FritzCast and FritzCastPodcast at gmail.com if you want to get in touch with me personally. That being said, some of you are probably disappointed that Bernie Sanders was not on the show today and did not do a song. I assure you, he's going to do at least one other Christmas song, possibly even a New Year's song. Who knows? Uh, but, uh, you know, just to not jam-pack the episode with a bunch of stuff, the focus was Todd Hagopian. So next week, you'll probably hear Bernie Sanders complain that I had a libertarian on the podcast. But it is what it is. All right, guys. I love you. Enjoy your holiday. Have a Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year. Well, a Merry Christmas. You'll see, you'll hopefully hear me before the New Year. And if Christmas isn't your forte, Happy Holidays. Hopefully I didn't offend you by saying Merry Christmas. But if you're offended by words such as Merry Christmas, you might want to reevaluate your personality. All right. Love you guys, and I'll see you next week. <laughs>